Well, my name is Freddie T, and uh, I'm named after my dad. And uh, I've shown up at, at youth retreats around the country, and they've been disappointed to find a short white guy named Freddie T because they thought they were getting a rapper of some sort. But when my, when my mom was at the hospital the day I was born, she said, I don't know if I can handle another Freddie. And my uncle said, just, name, just call him Freddie T. My middle name's Thomas. So I went to college and I tried to shake the tea because I didn't think that was very cool on the college campus. And uh, I, I would hear my, my mom's echo in the back of my head saying, your name's not Freddie. Your name's Freddie T. Because, of course, growing up, if she hollered Freddie in our home, if I answered, she would reply, your name's not Freddie. Your name's Freddie T. So um, I'm 36 years old and I go by Freddie T. I just have not been able to shake the tea. Uh, my family and I have just moved back, well, moved for some of them to, for the first time to Clarksville, Tennessee, which is where I grew up and my wife grew up. But for the past five years, we've lived in Manhattan, New York City. Three of our kids were born there. And so it's a real sensitive time for us. It's a challenging time for us. We were church planting missionaries in New York City, and our little family kind of came into being there, right there in the heart of Manhattan. And so if you can imagine the kind of culture shock that you would be experiencing if you moved your life right now from the Goodlettsville area to live in Manhattan, we're kind of experiencing that a little bit, having moved now back from Manhattan in five years where we normalized um, back to, to Clarksville, Tennessee. But man, it's so good to be with you today. Uh, I, I love preaching on this Sunday probably more than any Sunday of the year because I love reflecting on the year and I love planning ahead. Now, if that's not you, if you don't get really excited about planning for a new year, it's okay. It's still going to be a message from God's Word. It's going to be great. And God has a Word for you this morning from His Word. But I get really excited because I'm always reflecting. And I'm thinking, how did this year go? What went well? What can I improve on? And, and, and what went terrible? You know, what do I want to leave behind? And what do I want to see God do? What do I want to see God do in, in the new year? So the question that I want us to, to, to wrestle with this morning and to come around is just a real simple question is, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? I want to know if I'm a follower of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I really want to know if I'm a follower of Jesus. As I, as I look back on 2013, I, I want an answer to the question of, was I a faithful follower of Jesus? We just celebrate, celebrated Christmas. Well, we celebrated the incarnation of Jesus. God becoming man, taking on flesh, being born in this world as a baby. And we, we come around the ideas of, of believing in Jesus. In putting our faith in Jesus. But what we, what we learn is when we study the Bible, the kind of belief and the kind of faith that we want to have in Jesus is the kind of belief and the kind of faith that leads us into being a follower of Jesus. Hey, what does James say? Uh, the demons believe in God and tremble. Right? And so there's a little more than just, just surface level believing that God is there, but rather it's a belief that leads us to actually, in the here and now, follow Jesus. And so don't you want to know if you're a follower of Jesus this morning? You know what I really want to know? I really want to know if Jesus thinks I'm a follower of Jesus. Don't you want to know that? 
I mean, we can kind of presumptuously just declare, I'm a follower of Jesus. I mean, some of you are going, of course, I'm here. I'm a follower of Jesus. Why would I get out of bed on a nice weekend, Sunday morning, or rather for the first day of the week, to come and be here if I, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus? But as we dig into this first chapter of Mark, let's, let's consider the question, does Jesus consider us a follower of Jesus? Read with me Mark chapter 1, picking up in verse 16. Through verse 20. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pause and pray together and ask God to speak to us through his word. Our Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray that you'd be gracious to us now. Lord, that you would awaken our souls, that you would speak to us with clarity this morning and power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love the first thing that we see in verse 16. This is good news for us this morning. Is simply this. Jesus is interested in ordinary people. As we consider, does Jesus think I'm a follower of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? This is good news that Jesus is interested in ordinary people. People, look at verse 16 with me. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. Look at that phrase. For they were fishermen. They were fishermen. A very common vocation of the day. Maybe for you it's like they're, they're waiting tables. It's just a very common vocation of the day. And this is who Jesus chose. This is who Jesus wanted and this is who jesus wants today i know we could go around the room this morning and you guys could rattle off all the amazing extraordinary things that you've done in this life and some of you are thinking you just have no clue i'm kind of quiet about my accomplishments but if i was verbal about all that i've accomplished we, we would just our jaws would be dropped and we'd be like that's amazing but despite our amazing accomplishments when we look in the mirror I I think deep down inside, there's still that sense of ordinariness that we feel. I tell you, there's nothing that'll make you feel ordinary, like living among 22 plus million people in the New York metro area. But this is good news. If you feel ordinary today, Jesus is interested in you. He wants you. He chooses you. He, He desires you. Jesus wants and chooses ordinary people. He's interested in ordinary people. I'll never forget my sister when she was in college hearing this story about this girl. Now, if you're about to go into college, you need to hear about this. If you've ever been into college, you've probably heard about Greek life, fraternities and sororities. Now, I was on the baseball team at UT Martin down in West Tennessee, so that didn't really mesh with the fraternity thing, okay? Uh, It's kind of like we actually had some rivalries between the baseball team and some of the fraternities. But so just to kind of lay the groundwork for what a fraternity is, my, my sister's we're in Chi Omega. Now, if you, if you know anything about Chi Omega, you know it's not a sorority. It's a women's fraternity. And I was corrected often growing up as I would refer to Chi Omega as a sorority. It's not a sorority. 
It's a women's fraternity. And some of you could do your, you know, your chants from your fraternities, your sororities that you, you know, you experienced or you've seen some of these things. But imagine this with me just for a moment. This was at Austin Peay State University in Clarksville, Tennessee. A young girl as a freshman is coming in and she goes through what they call rush week. You guys are familiar with the concept rush week, where essentially what you do is you go around to the different groups, the different sororities or the different women's fraternities, and you go around and you hang out with them for the night. And then the next night you go out and you, and you hang out with this other group. And the next night you go and you hang out with this, this other group. And the whole time, the whole time, you're, you're gripped with this question of, are they going to want me? Are they good? Because at the end of rush week, that's what happens. Is all, all the sororities, all the fraternities, they put in their bids, they put in their votes, they put in, this is who we want. It's kind of a crazy experience when you think about it. And it's so crazy that this one girl, when my sister was in college, this one girl literally had a nervous breakdown going through rush. She absolutely lost it. Why? Because night after night, she's going into this group among her peers of, are they going to want me? Am I going to be accepted? Are they going to like me? Isn't that great about Jesus? He wants us. He wants you. You may be here this morning and you think, nobody wants me. Jesus does, the Son of God. The one who's, who put the stars in place. The one who created all of us. The one who is upholding this, this world by the word of His power. He wants you. He's interested in you and the details of your life. Jesus, the Son of God, wants you. He desires you. He loves you. This is good news. Um, this is, and, that's, and that's probably what makes this, you know, this scene so stunning, isn't it? Is that typically in these days, typically in these days, students would, would go and they would, like they would choose their rabbis. But here, the rabbi, Jesus, is choosing his followers. He's just no rabbi, is he? He's the son of God. Look at verse 17 with me. This is, we see this next mark of, am I a follower of Jesus? We see that Jesus calls us into fellowship with himself. Look at verse 17 with me. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now when we read this, just at surface level, and we read this, this phrase, follow me, most of us think that this phrase, follow me, and I said, what do you think that means? I mean, we'd probably say something like, well, it means that we're to obey Jesus. That's what follow me means. But when we read the Gospels, what we've got to do is we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. And we've got to think about how would the disciples have understood what Jesus was saying. And what Jesus was saying when he said, follow me, was literally to the disciples, come be with me. Not stand from afar and obey me. Jesus was literally, when he, when he looked at these men and he said, follow me, he literally was saying, come be with me. Come enjoy my presence. Come enjoy fellowship with me. Come be in my, in my presence. Let's not miss how profound this is. The Son of God, he's now wanting friendship, relationship, and fellowship with us. Some of you, listen, some of you, you've been going through the motions of religious life for a long time. You've been going to a church for a long time, but still you've, seen, you, you've sensed this emptiness in your life. Look, you can go to church and you can have a lot of religious things going on in your life. 
and not enjoy the presence of Jesus. Not enjoy fellowship with Jesus. Jesus calls us into fellowship with himself. And let's be clear, what is fellowship and what is it not? Uh, Fellowship is not coming to church. Although it could be, it's not necessarily coming to church. Fellowship with Jesus is not reading books about Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus is not listening to music about Jesus. Although those are great things, aren't they? Those are wonderful things. But they're not necessarily fellowship with Jesus. Being a part of a small group, leading a small group, uh, playing an instrument, singing songs about Jesus in the choir is not necessarily fellowship with Jesus. Well, what is fellowship with Jesus? It's being with him. It's spending time with him. It's speaking to him. It's singing songs to him. It's listening to him in his word. Essentially, what we're seeing when Jesus said, follow me, he's saying, come be with me. Essentially, what we're seeing this morning is that everyone around you may consider you to be a follower of Jesus. But if you're not experiencing fellowship with Jesus, Jesus may not consider you a follower of Jesus. Do you see that? He says to the disciples, follow me. Follow me. Come be with me. Enjoy my presence. Delight in me. Spend time with me. Have a real relationship with me. And so it may be that we've filled our lives with lots of church activities and yet no fellowship with Jesus. And if And if he was here in the flesh today, because he's here in spirit, right? The spirit of God is with us. He would say, yeah, but you're not a follower of me. Because you're not spending time with me. Well, as we enjoy, as we answer this call to enjoy fellowship with Jesus, we begin to walk intimately with Jesus. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? When you spend time with Jesus. Just pause for a moment and think about your past year. 2013. Have I been fellowshipping with Jesus? Well, look, if it's, if it's just this resounding no, like I've totally, I've totally abandoned the presence of Jesus. I've been going to church Sunday after Sunday, and I've been teaching this Sunday school class and doing all this, but I've not been enjoying his presence through prayer and reading the Bible. As you reflect on 2013, rejoice. 2014 is right around the corner. you got a whole new year to enjoy Jesus. What we see is that when we answer this call to enjoy his presence and to enjoy him, God gives us a promise. He sends us on his mission. Jesus sends us on his mission. Look at verse 17 with me. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And don't you love what he did there? They're they're fishers of fish, right? They're, They're fishermen, right? They're fishing. And and he he speaks right into their heart. In a way they can understand, he says, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to send you on mission for me to where you become a fisher of of men. What was Jesus saying there? He's saying, this is beautiful. This is beautiful because this is the natural result of spending time with Jesus. Is you want to tell people about Jesus. Isn't this great? This is is the good news this morning that I bring to you is that is that I don't, I, don't, I don't really have to like twist anybody's arm or put anybody on a guilt trip for not telling somebody about Jesus. But rather, I invite you, as Jesus invites you, into his presence to enjoy him. And Jesus makes the promise that he'll make us a fisher of man. Isn't that amazing? This is what I believe. I believe you cannot spend time with Jesus 
every day in a consistent, authentic way and not be moved by the Spirit of God to tell other people about Jesus. That's what Jesus promises. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So, so how do you know if you've been enjoying Jesus? Well, have you been telling people about Jesus? You see, how, to the degree you've been telling, telling people about Jesus well, is kind of a measuring stick upon like, how much have you been enjoying his presence? If you're enjoying his presence, you can't help but to speak of him. Think of Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah had this great encounter with the Lord. Do you remember that? Where the seraphim were filling the temple and they were covering their faces and covering their feet and they were crying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah's like, I'm, I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And the seraphim come over with the tongs, with the, you know, the coal from the, and it touches lips. Your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is gone. Your shame is removed. Isaiah has this encounter with Jesus. And then you remember what happens. God says, who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, nobody's going to listen to you. And Isaiah says, how long, Lord? How long? See, when, when Isaiah had this encounter with Jesus, it moved, him, it, it moved him to want to tell the world about God, right? You think about the woman at the well. You know the story in John 4? She encounters Jesus, has this crazy conversation. Jesus lavishes his grace upon her. And as you read through the narrative, the gospel narrative, she goes on and, and, and the, the gospel authors tell us that many people believed because of her testimony. Many people believed because of her testimony. She encounters the presence of Jesus. She spends time with Jesus. And she's moved to tell people about Jesus. This is what the world hates about Christianity, is that it's not, a, it's not a private religion. It's not a private faith. It's public. Jesus promises that when we spend time with him, he'll send us on his mission to be his mouthpiece. Now, I believe this about most of us here this morning. I believe that most of you here this morning have friends with unbelievers that you've never told, told them about Jesus. I believe that about mo- probably 95% of you here today. You have friends with unbelievers that you've never told them about how they could be saved. They've, you've never told them about God's personal love for them. You've never told them about the sacrifice that Jesus made and eternal life that he extends to them. You know, one of the best ways that I've found on how to correct that is to just lead with an apology. Right now, right now those friends are coming to your mind, right? Those faces are coming into your mind of, yeah, I've, I've never told my coworker. I've never told my best friend of 20 years. We've never sat down. He knows I go to church, but I've never told him about Jesus and his love. I don't, I don't know if he has faith in Jesus. Here's a great way to, to change that. You could change it today. You could change it this week. Lead with an apology. Sit down with that friend and just say, I'm sorry, I've never told you about the most important thing in my life. I mean, when you lead with an apology with your friend, I mean, you just lead with an apology, their, their heart's already opening, right? You say, I'm sorry, and they're like, what? What did you do? I don't know what you did. What did... I'm sorry that I've never told you about the most important thing in my life. You know what's going to happen in that moment? If you just pause after you say that, their eyes are going to widen, most of them, And they're going to say, well, tell me. They're going to invite you to tell them about Jesus. The difference that he's made in your life. See, Jesus, when we follow him, he sends us on his 
mission. Look at verse 18 with me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. What did they leave? Let's, let's read on and, and look at verse, uh, in verse 18. We, we see they left their valuable possessions. But look on in, in verse 19 and 20 with me. Jesus invites them to follow them. In verse 19, and going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. In verse 20, and immediately he called to them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is really interesting. They left their family here. They left their nets. They left their family. Mark could have described a dozen other things in this scene, couldn't he? He just gives us a few verses to describe this scene. He could have gone on and on and given us details about what was going on and and what was said. But he just gives us a little snapshot, right? This isn't all that was going on, right? This isn't a comprehensive um, story of everything that was happening, Right? I mean, Mark could have given detail after detail after detail, but instead he chose very precisely to write what he wrote to communicate to me and you and every other follower of Jesus what it actually means to follow Jesus. And what he wants us to see, it's very clear, isn't it? Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets. Now, I don't, I don't think in this moment, I don't think in this moment that Simon and Andrew were leaving their vocation. Though they could have. I don't think that's what was going on because as we read through the Gospels, we see that they're fishing in other places. So I don't think that they had left their vocation of being fishermen. But they did leave their, their nets. This is an incredibly valuable resource to them, isn't it? A treasure to them. Why? Because it was their source of earning their income, right? They left in that moment something that was very valuable to them. Their nets. They left it behind to follow Jesus. What, what Mark is showing us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this. Following Jesus requires sacrifice. Say sacrifice with me. Sacrifice. That was totally weak. I know. I'm going to give you another try, okay? Say sacrifice with me. Sacrifice. One more time, because that was really good. Let's just kind of blow the roof off it, uh, off for a minute. Can, Can we do that one time? That one more time? Like, really? Like, this is what Jesus wants us to know this morning about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means following Jesus requires what? sacrifice. Now, why did I have you do that? It's because the word sacrifice has left our vocabulary. And for many of us, it's left our lives. When we read on in verse 19 and 20, we see that not only did they leave their nets, they left their family. They left their family. One of God's greatest gifts to us is family, isn't it? It's one of God's greatest gifts. But you know what we often get wrong? Is we love God's gifts more than we love God himself. We enjoy God's gifts more than we love. And see, Jesus knew this, didn't he? He, Jesus knew that we would be tempted to love family more than him. And so he said crazy stuff, didn't he, about family. He said, you can't follow me unless you hate your father and mother. And we know Jesus didn't intend for anyone to hate anyone, right? But he was painting a picture to say your allegiance, your affection, your devotion to me should be so supreme that even your love for your family, one of my greatest gifts to you, that even your love for your family should appear as hate because you love me so much. This is what the North American church has missed tremendously. We've exalted family over Jesus. 
I was in Kingsport, Tennessee, the first time I ever flew anywhere to preach. I was like 20-something, thought it was big stuff. I was preaching at this disciple now. It's at this go-kart track, indoor, watching these guys go around the go-kart. And this lady comes up to me, and she leans up against the fence with me. And, and she says, my nine-year-old little girl thinks that God may be calling her to be a missionary. And she starts welling up in tears. She's just welling up in tears. And, she, and, and this is what she says. She says, but I've told her that maybe she could be a doctor and go on medical short-term mission trips. Get behind me, Satan! That's what Jesus says to that. This is tough, isn't it? This is tough. Because we love our families. We were, I was a pastor to young families at my home church in Clarksville, Tennessee. So we had a built-in babysitter every night of the week. We had uh, we just finished our basement, and we just finished a deck that looked out over the river. <laughs> it was like preaching every Sunday to the people that taught me how to walk with Jesus. And the Lord called us to sell it all, to leave our little house, and move into a 750-square-foot apartment in Manhattan. To leave Susan's grandmother and her mother and my parents and my two sisters and her aunts and to go into this dark city 3% evangelical out of 100 people on the streets in city center Manhattan three of them knew Jesus going into this dark place we had a choice to say yes to Jesus or to say no we love our family more we love our family more I want you to love your family like crazy God wants you to love your family like crazy Kids, God wants you to honor your parents, to respect them, to submit to them. He wants you to love them. Husbands, God wants you to be um, tender with your wives, not to be harsh with them. Wives, God wants you to, to cherish your, your husbands and to love them and respect them. And Grandparents, and but listen, dear friends, listen to me. Parents, you may be one of the greatest tools in the hand of God, when your child comes to you and says, I think God is leading me to go to Afghanistan. Or you may be one of the greatest tools in the hand of the devil. When your child comes to you and says, I think God is leading me to go to Afghanistan. Are you hearing this? Mark wanted us to see something. Mark wanted us to understand something very clearly about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't really matter if we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus, does it? It really only matters if Jesus considers us a follower of Jesus. And Mark wanted us to see that following Jesus requires sacrifice. For some of you, that will mean you will sacrifice the close proximity of family because Jesus will call you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth for the fame of his name, to a dark place to announce the good news. Go tell it on the mountain. Amen? But for others of you, it'll mean that rather than building that brand new screen porch on the back of your house, you're going to give to a church planter in, in, in Nashville. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to dig down deep into your pockets and you're going to give financially. It means you're going to say yes to what Jesus calls you. Following Jesus re requires sacrifice. What is the essence of sacrifice? It, the essence of sacrifice is that it costs us something and that it's painful. Following Jesus 
costs us something, and it's painful. That's what, it, that's what sacrifice means. And, and God wanted this to be so clear that in the Old Testament, he set up a sacrificial system as to how people would relate to him. And then Jesus comes and God makes the ultimate sacrifice in giving his son. And God the son makes the ultimate sacrifice in giving his life. And then Paul in the book of Romans chapter 12, he says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. We can't escape this this reality. And so did you make the sacrifices in 2013 that Jesus wanted you to make? Assess, evaluate, reflect. And then allow the Spirit of God to posture your heart in a readiness to make the sacrifices that Jesus is going to call you to make in 2014. You'll never make a sacrifice for Jesus that you'll regret. I don't regret the past five years one bit. Every time we would visit family, we'd leave... My wife would boohoo and we'd cry and it was sad. It was a sacrifice. It was painful. We don't regret it. I could just tell you countless stories and countless stories of people's lives that were transformed in New York City because we said yes to Jesus, because we were willing to sacrifice. So what is Jesus calling you to sacrifice? For some of you, it's going to be time. You need to sacrifice and give more time here at the church. And it's painful to give up your time. It's painful. To give it. Some of you, Jesus is going to call you to sacrifice sleep. To rise early. To meet with Him. You're going to sacrifice the comfort of sleep to get up and meet with Him. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's comfort. For some of you, it's it's family. There's probably somebody here this morning that you're not a, a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. Maybe you're married to someone who is a follower of Jesus and you just because you're committed to them, you come and you're here, but you've never made a personal commitment to Jesus to say, Jesus is going to be my master. I'm not going to be the master of my life. What, would it, what sacrifice is Jesus calling you to make to become his follower today? What do you have to give up to believe in Jesus and to trust him today? We see that following Jesus in verse 18 requires immediate obedience. Look at verse 18 with me. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee. Rather, verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. What we see is like delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Partial obedience is disobedience, right? The Lord has stirred in your heart. The Lord has spoken to you this morning about you need to tell this friend about Jesus or you need to get your schedule set so you can actually meet with me and spend time with me. Or you've been sitting on your wallet and you've been having a a, a closed fist and not being generous with the resources that God has given you and He's enabled you to earn. You've just been hanging on to it and the Spirit of God's nudging your heart toward generosity today. When? Right now. Today. Today. That's what Mark wanted us to see. Immediate obedience. Immediately they left their nets. What can we do? Jesus, can we just go and put the nets? Can we just store them? We want to follow you, but can we just store the nets so we don't have to let go of them? Immediately they followed Jesus. Can, can, we just, can we just go and say goodbye to the rest of the family? I mean, we're fishing with our father, Zebedee, so we can at least give him a hug. But my mom, like, I want to go say goodbye. They left and followed Jesus immediately. 
immediate obedience. Following Jesus requires immediate obedience. Isn't it amazing how Jesus assumes authority? He assumes authority, saying, follow me. Follow me. He's the Son of God. This is his rightful place. This is his rightful place. Dear friends, Jesus reveals himself as the bread of life. John, uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, God says that he is the very fountain of living waters. And so this call to follow Jesus, it's a difficult call, but it's a delightful call. This, this call to follow Jesus and to make these sacrifices and to immediately obey Jesus, this is a difficult call, but it's a delightful call. And my prayer for you this morning is this, is that you will fight the fight of faith to believe that this call to follow Jesus, that though it's difficult, it is indeed delightful. You won't regret it. It'll be delightful. Let's pray together.